You're listening to Monster of the Week with Timothy from ProDM, and we are back from hiatus. And have I got a whale of a tale to tell you this week, because we're talking about banshees, and they wail, and that's the pun that I came up with. You can find the Banshee on page 23 of the 5th edition Monster Manual. And they are one of, I would say, a half dozen incorporeal undead in 5th edition. Uh, we're talking ghosts and shadows and specters and wraiths, I think is the other one. Banshees are specifically described here in the book as cursed elves, uh, the lore of which we will get into more a little bit later. It's just one stat block. They are CR4 undead. They are chaotic evil. They are immune to almost everything. They have a detect life ability and incorporeal movement. And they have three attacks. Uh, there's corrupting touch, which deals necrotic damage. There's horrifying visage, which has a frightening effect. And then, of course, what they are most famous for, their whale, which is a once-a-day ability that could reduce you to zero hit points on a failed save. Now, before we dive in on those abilities, let's talk a little bit about the history of the Banshee and where it comes from in Dungeons & Dragons. Now, the Banshee is a staple of Irish mythology, and as such, it has been in D&D since the very beginning, 1979's Monster Manual 1 for first edition. The funny thing is, though, that I actually had a lot of trouble finding them. I thought they first began in second edition because in that first Monster Manual, they are not listed under B for Banshee. They are published under G for Groaning Spirit which is a pretty dumb name, I think, for such a famous monster. It's, it's sort of the equivalent of calling a, like a minotaur a man bull. Like, it has an established name. Why are you confusingly listing it under, like, what's clearly a nickname? In that original version, the groaning spirit is pretty much as the Banshee is described now. They are the spirits of evil female elves, which the text makes a point to say is a, quote, very rare thing indeed, end quote. It has a chilling touch and a wail that causes the characters to save versus magic or die on the spot. So some very old school Gygaxian mechanics. In addition to making the point that the wail is once a day, there is a fun little note that's tacked on to the end here. Uh, the last sentence of the entry just reads, Exorcism kills them. Now, I never played first edition. I don't know if exorcisms come up a lot. Feel free to leave a comment to educate me if exorcism was a thing in first edition. I never played it, so I'm not aware. But I do just like the quick little note that exorcism kills them, just in case. Now, second edition kept most of this, but it added a little bit more lore, and it also added a few abilities, specifically the detect life ability, which we still see in fifth edition. Um, they also added some tactics, uh, which I kind of like that describe that she will appear at night, she'll wail, see if she can kill any party members, and then she'll just retreat again and hide in her lair somewhere, you know, like phasing through walls and stuff, to reappear again that night uh, and try the wail again. So I love the notion of a party, like, delving a dungeon, and this banshee shows up, screams at them. When any of them survive, leaves. It's this, like, recurring villain, which I think is actually really cool. The 3.5 Banshee appeared in the Monster Manual 2, 
and was notably different in that they weren't just limited to elves. Uh, they said it was like any evil humanoid and that their corrupting touch was instead a charisma drain, which I actually really like. What's weird is that I can't find any record of them appearing in 4th edition, which is surprising to me because, again, I consider a banshee a pretty classic medieval European monster. And while they do appear in most settings, there really isn't much specific lore about them tied to those settings, whether it's Eberron or Forgotten Realms or even Ravenloft. They tend to just kind of be one-and-done random encounter monsters, which I also think is odd, considering how much sort of story is baked into the concept and creation of the Banshee. That's the history of the Banshee. It kind of reminded me of, like, the Ankheg, where it is an old classic monster that's been interpreted several times, but there's really not a lot done with it. You know, nobody really, like, took the Banshee and ran with it in a famous adventure or campaign setting. Next, we're going to talk about the things we like about the Banshee, as it's presented here in 5th edition. So we're going to start off by talking about the Banshee's lore and the things we like about that lore. One thing I particularly like is its sort of theme of beauty, right? They, they talk about how the vanity that inspired the Banshee you know, persists into undeath and they, they covet beautiful things like jewelry and paintings. And, but at the same time, they also hate their own image because of how hideous they've become, right? I love that duality of craving everything beautiful and then therefore hating yourself because, you know, you are no longer beautiful. Um, they even specifically say that a single glimpse of itself is enough to send a banshee into a rage. And I really like that as almost like a core weakness or, or like a fatal flaw of this monster. Because it's undead, you kind of have to have these kind of like ghost story rules. And I really like this obsession with beauty and vanity and like material wealth, material goods, I think makes the monster really interesting and relatable. The second thing I like about the lore is the section Sorrowbound, where they make the point that banshees are forever bound to the place where they died, and they're unable to like venture more than five miles from there. It, it dovetails really nicely with their life sensibility, that they can sense anyone living within five miles of the place where they died. And it also, like, immediately suggests some interesting storytelling. If you're going to put in a Banshee encounter, you have to ask yourself, how did they die? And why? And what has happened in the intervening time since they died? How long ago did they die? What was their manner of death? Have other people come here since then? Right? There's, like, a lot of inherent storytelling in that restriction that the Banshee can't be more than five miles away from its place of death. Right? You have to ask yourself, what was this Banshee before it was a monster? And then lastly, we'll talk about the, the my favorite mechanical thing about the Banshee. I love the whale. I think whale is one of the best, most interesting, scariest monster abilities in 5th edition. I love how few fucks that ability gives, right? Like, all creatures within 30 feet of her have to make a constitution saving throw, and on a failure, they drop to zero hit points. It does not matter what you are. You could be a 20th level fighter. You're unlikely to fail a DC 13 constitution saving throw, but if you do, you drop all the way down to zero hit points. Even on a success, you still take 3d6 damage. So regardless of how you do, you're going to take that damage. It's obviously mitigated by the fact that, you know, she has to be, she can't be in sunlight and the whale has no effect on constructs and undead or whatever, right? But I, I love that conceit. I've actually borrowed that mechanic in a couple of other places because of how 
like it just stops the encounter dead everyone realizes like oh god this is really frightening we have to do something about it I love that they, like, sort of punch above their CR, right? That, like, for the most part, looking at a Banshee, they're not that scary. And you see that challenge rating four, and you can't really figure it out. And then you read Whale, and you're like, oh, no. I once ran an encounter uh, against two Banshees that almost wiped the party completely because of a couple of bad con saves. Like, they just have this seismic effect on counter design. And is that swingy? It's totally swingy. Every use of the Whale is dramatic, and I love that. Next, we'll talk about the things that we don't like so much about the Banshee. So my first gripe with the monster is about the lore, and it surrounds the Banshee's origin. I find this is a consistent problem with a lot of D&D's undead monsters, that they're origins are a little bit too corner case to the point where they become kind of restrictive. Like, I love the idea of the Banshee, but this notion that they are specifically female, specifically evil, specifically elves who were beautiful, but then use their beauty not to help other people, but to, like, manipulate other people, and then they turned into Banshees when they died. It's just, like, such a weird corner case scenario that it, it, it pulls all the air out of the room of the cool fact that they have to be bound to the place where they died, right? If Banshees are this one hyper-specific case study of this one evil elf, that it feels like there would be one Banshee. How many Banshees could there possibly be if they all have to follow this model? I also don't really know how one, like, uses their beauty to make the world better, what does that mean? Like, a beautiful person doesn't have, like, more responsibility than an ugly person, whatever that means, to, like, be a good person. I don't know. This is also kind of like a weird, like, misogyny, slut-shaming thing where, like, these beautiful elves weren't nice enough, so now they become horrible ghosts. You know, like, I just, ugh. I like the idea of, like, beauty and luxury and, like, lavishness and hedonism all kind of being wrapped in. But this notion that it's this one very specific case, I never see anyone really lean into that. I think most people just kind of like ignore that part um, in favor of whatever they want to do for that particular Banshee story. My second gripe is that the Banshee has just an absolute ass pile of resistances. They are resistant to acid, fire, lightning, thunder, plus bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical weapons. And they're straight up immune to cold, necrotic, and poison. Condition-wise, they are immune to charmed, exhaustion, frightened, grappled, paralyzed, petrified, poisoned, prone, and restrained. Again, a lot of that comes to the fact that they're incorporeal. So most of those condition immunities don't really bother me. But them being resistant to acid, fire, lightning, thunder, and being immune to cold, necrotic, and poison, it's like there are so few ways you can go at this creature, right? Like, I would argue that, like, maybe it needs some kind of vulnerability. I know I harp on this all the time, but just specifically looking at all of the things that it can resist, right? Like most magic damage, you know, most like elemental magic basically doesn't work or is you know, half as effective. Regular weapons don't, necrotic spells don't work, poison spells don't work. And then any attempt to like charm or restrain them, none of that's going to work either. So your choices are either to attack it with a magic weapon or to use like one or two of the ability of the damage types that aren't represented here. So, like, force, right? And and radiant, you know? Like, I think that's doable. 
if maybe there's a vulnerability, right? Like if they have a radiant damage vulnerability, that makes that a lot easier. There's another thing we could do to give them another weakness, which we'll talk about later, but I just think the the totality of all of those resistances makes this fight feel like it's going to last forever. And once the whale is done, right, like what can the Banshee really do beyond like do some necrotic damage and maybe horrifying visage? So like a long drawn out fight with a Banshee isn't actually that interesting. And then lastly, my my gripe is another mechanical one. I find horrifying visage to be a little meh. Like, I think Frightened and Fear is overused in D&D. I think there are too many abilities that play on it. I'm not a huge fan of any ability that, like, tells a player this is how you feel. Obviously, you can get kind of supernatural with it, but if it's super pervasive across all these different monsters, every time it happens, like, no, I'm frightened again, am I? I think if one or two monsters had it, it would feel a lot more impactful, but I just feel like you see it all the time. And plus then it's it's a lot like whale anyway in that it's it's a one hit go. It's a wisdom save instead of a constitution save. So you have to choose round one whether you're going to do whale or horrifying visage. And then once you've done whale, then it's just like another big blast. It also doesn't make sense to me that horrifying visage is 60 feet away from the banshee and whale is only 30 feet. Where it seems to me like sound would carry a lot farther than like how horrifying the face is. But then, you know, it's frightened. So now a frightened creature, you know, can't move closer and has to repeat the save and it's disadvantage on attacks and like, but then once it's done, they, they have immunity to it for 24 hours. So it is just kind of a one and done. So you're like horrifying visage, whale, and then you're into your corrupting touch, which just does necrotic damage and is melee and pretty boring. So I don't know. I feel like we could do something a little bit more interesting there with horrifying visage. I, I think about the ghost, which has the aging effect. And that feels very much on theme with the Banshee and all about being about physical beauty. So maybe replacing Frightened with that. But we'll get into improvements in just a second. In talking about improving the Banshee, I think all three of my suggestions are all kind of interlinked. So I would really want to narratively lean into this idea about beauty and vanity and hedonism. What if we scrap the whole, you know, there are female elves who didn't have sex with me in college right? Like, what if it's, these are people, they, they could be elves, they don't have to be, it really depends on your world. But what I think when I read this story is I think about Dorian Gray, right? Imagine the story of Dorian Gray kind of translated into Dungeons and Dragons. Imagine someone who lives a life of comfort and luxury and beauty and pleasure, right? And, and never wants for anything and is kind of trying to preserve that and clutch to it. When someone like that dies, they become a banshee. Right. And they wail over the things that they've lost. You know, they, they kind of like Scrooge like they see because they can't leave where they died. So they see their home being like sold away and all their things being bartered. And they see their people in their life kind of aging. Right. And they know that they are aging. They look horrifying, too. They probably see their own body. Right. As it's being like, you know, buried or whatever. And they're horrified by it. And they're horrified by what they've become. And so it's all about this notion, right, of like, who was I? What was it all for now that I'm, I'm, I'm haunting this place and I can't feel and I can't love and I can't, you know, enjoy anything I used to enjoy? Almost like a Barbosa from Pirates of the Caribbean thing, right? So then what I think this does is it lets you not only strengthen the background, but it also lets you strengthen the mechanics. So I think you could give the Banshee a weakness. You could do something simple like Radiant Damage, right? Which which is fine, and because they seem to have a lot of knight-related abilities, that's cool. But I would argue you could go a little bit less conventional, and you could do something cool with, again, that 
Dorian Gray theme. They mention in the lore that like any a banshee that sees their own reflection flies into a rage. What if there's a mechanic, like a weakness, like a banshee weakness worked in where if the banshee sees its own reflection that, you know, it has to make a save or it, it is destroyed, much like the whale, right? It's like the, the inverse version of that. So that seems really powerful, but you would have to know going in, okay, you know, we're going to encounter a banshee. And so we have to, like, get a mirror or get something like that to show to the banshee. And to me, that feels very classic, very mythological, right? Think about uh, Perseus and Medusa, right? The mirror shield. I feel like that could be a really fun way to sort of break a banshee encounter, you know, yes, they're very, very powerful with that whale, but the flip side is you come in with a mirror and the Banshee still has to make the save, right? It could succeed on the save and then it's kind of a gamble for nothing. But I think it gives you this, if it's swingy in one direction, right? Swingy against the party. It's also kind of swingy against the Banshee. And I think that's that great, awesome moment of like, boom, we did it by engaging with the story. And then the DM gets to have a cool purple scene of the Banshee, like seeing itself in the mirror and pulling itself apart, right? In horror at the, the sort of rotted travesty that its beauty has become. I love that. So that would be my recommendation is give it something like that. I think the Medusa even has a note in its mechanics about it looking at its own reflection. So there is precedent for a mechanic like that in fifth edition. Maybe you tie Horrifying Visage to that. So you say that when the Banshee looks at itself, then it does the Horrifying Visage, right? And its its whole body kind of crumbles and peels away. And anyone who sees that has to make a save or be frightened or drop to zero or, or whatever, right? It could be kind of like a bomb effect. So there's, there's an inherent risk that comes with it. What I would also maybe do, I would mess with Corrupting Touch a little bit. Again, trying to stay on this theme. I actually think the Charisma Drain is pretty cool. There is precedent for this in 5th edition. The Shadow drains your strength away. Every time it hits you, it, re it reduces your strength by 1d4. And if it reduces your strength to 0, then you die, right? So I think you could do something similar here with Charisma, right? It, it's like stealing your beauty away, right? It's trying to take your, like, vivaciousness and your life energy and try to reinvigorate itself, right? Like, maybe there's even, this is way out there, but maybe there's even the thing where if the Banshee can reduce someone to zero charisma, they become alive for a night. They can feel things, again, just, you know, for an hour or whatever it is. So they have this, like, inherent motive to try to lure people in and, like, steal sensation back. So then it's not just a little bit of necrotic damage. It, there's this other threat that the Banshee poses. To me, all of those things together not only make the Banshee's story a lot stronger, but it also, like, makes that CR4 worth it, right? It isn't just that it's got this one bomb that it drops, which I, I love and it should definitely keep. It's that it's this whole apparatus around it, right? That it has all these resistances and it can take your charisma away and it can shriek at you. But if you're smart and you know your monsters, you can go in there with a secret kryptonite that defeats the Banshee. And that's it. That's the episode on the Banshee. Thank you so much for listening. Let me know in the comments, have you ever used a Banshee in your campaign? Do you think Whale is too powerful or not powerful enough? I just wanted to really quick say thanks to everyone uh, for your patience while there's been this little hiatus in between A and B. Uh, I'm also in the middle of a move right now, which has made it hard to record. Uh, but I'm very excited to be sort of blasting my way through the, the Monster Manual with y'all again. So next episode, I believe, is another favorite monster of mine, the Basilisk, which I'm excited to talk about. But until then, thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, go wail it from the rooftops, and happy adventuring.
Monster of the Week is a ProDM production. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at XPWebSeries. And if you like the show, please consider joining our Patreon campaign. For $1 a month, you get access not only to early episodes of this show, but also to brand new homebrew monsters. You can find us at patreon.com slash XPWebSeries. That's the letters X, P, Web Series. The music used in this episode was Rainbow Ride and Waves by Azure Flux, licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, Creative Commons license. Check out their work at azureflux.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>